for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and what do you know? Giants, Jets, preseason week three and a half, I guess it is, since training camp started. You can see the finish line for the summer, and week one in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans does not seem all that far off. Busy show today, a New York icon, Steve Serby of the New York Post, has covered the NFL in this city since 1977, got together with Serbs, who's become a good friend of mine, I respect him a lot, uh, and we're pretty close, fun to pal around with him in press boxes, press boxes across the country. We got the chance to talk for our podcast Sunday night in the press box at MetLife Stadium. I think you're going to enjoy it. Took a trip down memory lane, got his thoughts on the Giants, what to expect from the Giants and Jets, had a little fun with his trial and tribulations through the years, writing a book on LT, talking about the Jets and Giants joint practice back in 2005, which was at the University of Albany. Now, when I talked to Serby, I I made the mistake. You'll hear that in the interview. I said it was at FDU Madison. It was not. It was up in Albany. Uh, The Giants have had training camps at Pace in Pleasantville, New York. Uh, FDU Madison, obviously at their own facility recent years. And then obviously up in Albany. So Giants-Jets will have joint practice on Thursday. And then they will play the preseason finale Sunday at 1 at MetLife Stadium. It was an up and down day in terms of emotions for the Giants on Wednesday, which is when I'm recording this week's show. Sterling Shepard off the physically unable to perform list. Suffered an Achilles tear last December, and he was back on the practice field. Looked good, looked like Sterling Shepard, which is great for the Giants in many ways. I think he's going to thrive in this Brian Dable and Mike Kafka offense. He's a great route runner. Dable talked about Shepard this morning. Just the idea that he can read defenses. That comes down to those choice routes that we've talked about where Daniel Jones and his receiver has to be on the sa- they have to be on the same page. Right now, I'd say Shepard injuries aside is the most reliable receiver the Giants have. That's going to be huge for Daniel Jones if Shepard can be on the field. There are still question marks in terms of production and availability about Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony. Tony worked through individual drills and caught some passes on Wednesday, but he is still out. Uh, tweaked his hamstring almost two weeks ago now, and I would think we will not see Tony this weekend. You hope that week one that he will be available. 
did not see Kayvon Thibodeau at practice today. He's going to be undergoing treatment for the next two-plus weeks, and then they'll see where his sprain to MCL is. Still have an opportunity to maybe squeeze in week one in Nashville, depending on how his treatment and rehab comes along. But it would not surprise me to see it linger into the regular season, maybe week two at home against Carolina or week three on Monday Night Football against the Cowboys, depending on how things come together uh, for Kayvon. But certainly an exhale on that front. Now if we talk about the roster, big injury on Wednesday. Colin Johnson's been having a great camp. Went down in a heap. Uh, coming off the line of scrimmage, uh, popped his hamstring. I'm sorry, not his hamstring, his Achilles. I don't know why I said hamstring, but he went down as if he were uh, taken down by by a hamstring or some sort of leg injury. It was a ruptured Achilles for Colin Johnson, and he is now out for the season, placed on IR. Uh, really tough turn of events for him. He's really been productive this summer and was playing his way into a role on this offense. You know, I know there are a lot of people who who want to see him replace Galladay. Uh, that was not going to happen. Uh, but Johnson was squarely on the 53-man roster with an opportunity to contribute. So you hate to see that happen to him. It was a non-contact injury. Uh, so the Giants made some claims. We'll get to that in the final drive segment. But at this point, David Sills, arrow up. We'll see what happens with Alex Bachman. If he has an opportunity to make a play, Richie James is now squarely in competition for a spot now that Sterling Shepard is on the active roster. So it's going to be interesting to see what plays out on the wide receiver end of things. Um Looking forward to the Giants-Jets, seeing all my friends on the Jets beat. Some of the people who, you know, you tolerate. But uh, anyway, I think uh, I think it's going to be an interesting thing coming off of the Subway Series in New York. And now you have Giants-Jets. I know it's just the preseason. But you know in New York, we like everything to be bigger than maybe it actually is. So Giants-Jets joint practice is going to be played up. I don't think we're going to see anyone get jumped like Jeremy Shockey did back in 2005. If you don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you check out my story on NorthJersey.com about uh, the history lesson that Robert Sala and Brian Dable hope to avoid come Thursday at the facility of the Giants and then Sunday in the preseason game. So before... I delay any further. Let's get to my interview with Steve Serby. Like I said, few people have seen more football over the last five decades than Steve Serby, and he certainly has his quirky opinions and has a lot of fun with everything he does. His Q&As are legendary now on Sundays. Everyone knows when Serby gets his Q&A. Uh, so I hope you enjoy our conversation and our interview, and I'll be back with the final drive segment. All right, joining me now in the press box at MetLife Stadium, the one and the only Steve Serby of the New York Post, my friend and uh, one of the most respected 
writers in all of New York sports. Well, you're too kind. Too kind, Art. Am I faking it? Is it? Are no, we, I, get, are we getting the audience to you believe read, it? You read the introduction exactly as I wrote it. Okay, sounds good, uh, sir. Thanks for joining me. Obviously, you you go back to my previous podcast, and now we started all in last summer. It's only appropriate that we wait a year and then get you in. Uh, so you know, big week. Nothing else matters. Mets, Yankees, and then oh, the Giants and Jets will see each other on the practice field together on Thursday. First time since uh, since a couple guys threw down in, uh, I think it was FDU Madison, right? Where, where they threw down, but what are you thinking going into this week? Jets, Giants, you obviously see both teams. What's your feeling first on just New York football in general? Um, well, it's going to be a long year, Art. I hate to say it, but come uh, late autumn and early winter, um, I think uh, Giant Jet fans are going to be looking forward to 2023. The draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is the Super Bowl for these teams every year, it seems. Right. You know, the Giants, obviously, Brian Dable, great guy. We all love him. Hasn't lost a game. Right. Has not lost a game. New regime, again. And uh, the Jets, question, more talent. They've loaded up. On both sides of the ball, they've got a lot of talent, but it's young talent and a young coaching staff in its second year and a tough division. So if either one of these teams can uh, reach near 500, I think that's a success. Obviously, let's talk Giants first, but we, you go back. I want to talk your history a little bit on New York Before football. you were born. Uh, no, I was four. I was four when you first started covering the NFL. Were you reading me then? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think online. Online, I was reading. Oh, oh right, right. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you're talking almost five decades now for you. Man, I'm old. Yeah, well, so am I. Um, in terms of New York football, how, has this ever been a quote-unquote rivalry uh, between the Jets and the Giants? Yeah, sure. When the Jets won Super, Super Bowl three, yeah. and Wellington Mara cringed when they lost at the in Yale at the Yale Bowl. You know, the the Giants were the establishment back then. The Jets were these up-and-comers with Broadway Joe, who was my idol growing up. And um, that's when it was truly a rivalry. It was, it was truly the battle for New York. Now, of course, it's a little different. You know, I, I said this to somebody back at the Combine, and, you know, you look at where the Jets are versus where the Giants are. Giants are now, like you said, in year one with Dable and Joe Shane as GM. Um, do you get any vibes from the Jets? Uh, I don't mean it's exactly the same spot, but where the Giants were last year uh, with Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, that it was – a little bit of promise there, a lot of expectations, but it was pretty close to kind of teetering on that edge in terms of, you know, we think Robert Sala is a good coach, but right. didn't win enough games last year. Uh, maybe didn't have the talent. Joe Douglas has had a run here where he's been able to pick guys. He's hit some, he's lost some. But, you know, I don't mean that Douglas is, is Gettleman by any stretch, but do you see the Jets kind of in a strange situation here if they do not get out of the gate strong and maybe they're questioning whether or not this regime is the right regime to get this thing turned around? I know, my gut feeling tells me that they're going to give Robert Sala 
unless things completely fall apart, a third year. I think Joe Douglas likes him. I think he likes the way he commands the respect of the players. Um, I think they'll be more competitive this year. But, again, it's a young team, and who knows about the quarterback? They already lost Mekhi Becton for the year. And Zach Wilson, if he gets hurt again, then they may have to consider going into the quarterback market again next year because availability is the best ability. And Zach Wilson has not yet shown that he can stay on the field. And if he's going to take this second-year leap that we all talk about, then he's got to stay on the field and play. So, um, you know, we're still waiting for Daniel Jones to take that second-year leap. Right. Right? And right, it's well, his fourth yeah. year. And <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, he may, this may be his leap year with the Giants. Yeah. Well, you know, back when the Giants won a Super Bowl and then a the year later, a guy by the name of Joe Flacco ended up leading the Ravens to a Super Bowl. When they roll into Quest on Thursday and have their joint practice, Joe Flacco is going to be quarterbacking the Jets. You buying or selling the promise that's coming out of Florham Park that Joe Flacco can get this team off to a good start this year? Well, they hope to have Zach Wilson back by week two, I would think. Okay. So what's a good start? 1-0 is a good start, right? Yeah. But, you know, Joe Flacco, look, he, he's – He's the prototypical NFL quarterback, six foot five, a couple inches taller than Zach Wilson. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He was Joe Cool. They still look at him as Joe Cool, but he's what I believe Parcells would call one of those hold the fort guys. And ideally, you don't want Joe Flacco holding the fort for a long period of time. Right. You know, they're committed to, to Zach Wilson, love his upside, but again, there's so much young talent on that team around Zach Wilson that there's going to be growing pains again this year. Let's go to the Giants, obviously, uh, past and present, uh, maybe even future. Let's talk about this year's team first. By the way, getting back to that rivalry, there was the Jet-Giant rivalry we yeah. talked about. When Rex Ryan was coaching the Jets and grabbing the back page, yeah. and the Jets were in back-to-back AFC Championship games, there was a little bit of a rivalry back then. I don't think Tom Coughlin really he appreciated was trying. it. Yeah. yeah, Rex was trying to make it a rivalry, that's for sure. Well, he was, and uh, if, if the Jets hadn't fallen apart, and if Mark Sanchez hadn't fallen apart, yeah. who knows, Rex may still be there. But If Victor Cruz doesn't happen on Christmas Eve in 2001, uh, 2011, yeah. who knows where the Jets would be. I mean, it's hard to bring people back to that moment, but yeah. that was an awful first half that the Giants played, and Eli Cruz rescued yeah. that team and changed the trajectory of both franchises, right. really. Rex Ryan, for a brief period, had Jets fans believing that they were no longer the little brother of the Giants, yep. which they are. Yep, and, you know, we'll see where that goes this year, but another first regime here with the Giants' first year yeah, for the I, Giants. I would, I would hope Brian Dable makes it to year three. I think John Mara will do everything he can to make sure that happens. I think he wanted to do everything he could to make sure Joe Judge reached year three last year. And, you know, the bottom fell out and they didn't have a quarterback. And, you know, the last six games, they just were not competitive. And then when you go on the market to look for a general manager uh, in Joe Shane, I think that's kind of where the optimism comes from, from fans that I talk to. And so far, what I've seen is that long-term optimism. Absolutely. That, that Joe Shane is building the franchise and the front office the way, you know, they did in Buffalo. Uh, what are your impressions of Joe Shane and what, what he's 
talked about his first, you know, six months on the well, job. Well, he's done wonders with the salary cap already, right? He had no choice. To survive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he seems to me to be a very sharp guy. He hired a sharp assistant in Brandon Brown. Yeah. And um, he. it's very important that he and Brian Dable share the same vision and are compatible and are looking for the same kind of player. But the problem is, this is year one of, of the regime. It's a united front and all that, but you look around the division, there were more smart, tough, and dependable players on other rosters than Shane and Dable have on this one. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. You know, I find myself, I don't know if you have, I mean, like we said, you know, it's well documented, your history here versus, you know, how long you've been doing this. Um, but I, I find myself, I, I almost want to pull back a little bit, uh, I, not so much on the optimism, but what I'm actually seeing, because I've gone through this before. You know, Tom Coughlin left and Ben McAdoo first year makes the playoffs. Everybody talks positively about McAdoo and how he's going to become a good head coach. And then that he, team was prime. Then he changed his hairstyle and everything changed. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, if only it were that simple, right? Because <laughs> right. then Pat Shermer comes in and he lasts two years. He was the adult in the room, right? Right, exactly. They go from the adult, then they wanted the CEO, and they brought in Joe Judge to be able to run the entire program. A guy uh, that uh, knew how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and right, instructed... That- Right. Right. That, that was the, you know, so you, you almost feel like you've been through this before. So I don't blame Giants fans that want to be a little hesitant to say, you know, OK, let, let's wait a little while before we start, you know, declaring this team back again with another another no, regime. I, I think Giant fans are I think they're a little realistic. I think they realize that that this is a rebuilding process. Right. This is year one for Shane and Dave. Well, I think they'll give them a honeymoon. They deserve a honeymoon period. Yeah. You know, next year at this time, I think there'll be a little more uh, more expectations. But right now, the expect- yeah. expectations are low. The Eagles and the Cowboys have clearly better rosters than the Giants do. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Eagles might have one of the best rosters in the league, if not the best in what they've built I, there. I'm picking them to win a division. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that really comes down to the quarterback, I think, in Philly. If, if Jalen Hurts plays like he's played at the highest of the high yep. in his right. career, they'll be good. If he plays like he played against the Giants last year here, uh, the Eagles are, will be, you know, in contention. Got, you know, Gardner Minshew can come off the bench and win a couple of games for them, too. He, he's actually a, a, a fun and a and an intriguing backup quarterback because you almost look at that surprised he hasn't gotten an opportunity from somebody to float a pick by their way and say, Hey, we want Gardner to come in and maybe run our, he could probably start for the Browns right now. Well, yeah, he could, but, but, but what the Eagles have and the Cowboys have that the giants don't have among other things is an elite number one receiver, Cowboys, CD lamb Eagles. Now, may have two with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. Right. And cornerback. The Giants don't have that elite corner that you need in this league. And, you know, the Eagles have Bradbury and Slay, who maybe not be elite, but they're professional. And the Cowboys have um, Diggs, Trayvon Diggs. Right. Um, So you've seen Daniel Jones. You've seen quarterbacks come through this area and get – chewed up and spit out. You've seen quarterbacks like Eli Manning, they get chewed up, and then all of a sudden, by the time their career is over, they're riding high and they're a legend. Yeah, people forget there were questions about Eli in into his fourth season. Right, right. Before he went on his playoff run, Super right. Bowl run. 
you know, the only hard thing is I think Eli's fourth season, I mean, nobody's debating that that roster was much better than what's here. I mean, oh. you had a Hall of Famer on it. You, you know, you, right. You have guys up and down. What What's your barometer for Daniel Jones going into year four? Uh, what do you need to see to write that column at some point this year? That, that he should return. He's, gonna go, he's the guy that needs to return for the job. Well, first and foremost, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to play 15 games, I would think, at the minimum. He's got to show a command and understanding of this new offense, his third offensive system, right? Yeah. Third head coach, third offensive system. I think fourth offensive play caller, if you consider Freddie Kitchens coming in last year. Yeah. So, look, John Mara was right. They've done everything they can to screw the kid up. But, unfortunately for Daniel Jones, it's, they declined his fifth-year option, which they should have. And next year is a nice quarterback class. You know, and the Giants, if Giants – if the season goes the way I think it's going to go, they're going to be within striking distance of landing a new franchise quarterback. Yeah. So all of that, and, and Daniel Jones, of course, was not drafted by Joe Shane, as we know, with the sixth pick. Right. So all Daniel Jones has to do to me is throw the ball to Saquon Barkley <laughs> 90 times this year, the way Barkley caught 91 passes as a rookie, and, and be the, a point guard. He doesn't have to be a hero. He has to matriculate the ball down the field, get throw short passes to Wandale Robinson, to Kadarius Tony if he can ever stay on the field, and let them make yards after the catch. Right. I think I think that's should be the goal for Daniel Jones this year. Stay healthy, get the ball to your playmakers in space, and let them make life easier on him. I mean, all, all that being said, I, I know you pretty well. I, I would have a hard time right now creating a scenario where Daniel Jones is signing a long-term extension or if oh, they're oh, the slapping are, the franchise yeah, tag on The odds are stacked against them, but again, the offensive line hasn't been fixed. Right. And that's always going to be a problem. I think they'll better, be better this year, though. And it, all they have to do is get back to average – and you'll see a difference, I think, on the field. Yeah. That's the biggest yeah. challenge. To me, the Giants have five foundational pieces. And I'm sure you'll... Why don't you name them, Mart? Let me see. You if we, let's, name. Yeah, let's see if we agree on this. All right. Foundational pieces five. right now, I'd say uh, Xavier McKinney would be one. Correct. Um, I'm buying Andrew Thomas. I'd say Andrew Thomas is two. I, would, I, I do, even though they're only rookies and they haven't played a game yet... I think Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal will be cornerstones on this team. Uh, and then, hmm, number five, I'm probably forgetting somebody. I, well, I'm including him. Maybe you'll disagree. but I think you probably go Dexter Lawrence. Nope, no. Nope. I, I wouldn't go Dexter Lawrence just yet. Um, who's your fifth? Ojolari. Ojolari, Okay. A lot of positive things coming out of the Giants about Ojolari, especially the assistants the other day in our interview car wash. They're they're really high, they're really high on what Ojolari can bring to the table. Yeah, he's bulked up a little bit, added a few few more pounds, and he seems to be one of those guys that gets it. And he's he's a dog. He's eight and a half sacks as a rookie. I think right. he's a, I think he's a natural pass rusher who should only get better. Well, I tell you, if the Giants could have two foundational edge rushers in Ojolari and Thibodeau, 
I mean, now you're talking about this defense taking a, a completely different look well, they going need, into the season. With, with this secondary, with their cornerback situation, yeah. they need a pass rush. You're, you're right. And uh, they t- could help those two uh, bookends, obviously, could help Leonard Williams, who will probably be elsewhere next season. And that's probably more monetarily and financially, obviously. But I, I don't think Leonard Williams gets enough credit. And he's... He's on the all very good team yeah. in this in this town, and I think you know. Look, when your when your salary creeps to where his has, um, and his age, and his age, and then when you look at how he got here, you know, I think there are Giants fans who will still look at Leonard Williams as the Dave Gettleman mistake about tra- making those tra- that trade. Yeah, but he's not a mistake. No, I agree. But in that situation, I think te- they would have rather seen him. Come here on the market rather than getting forced in, you know, forced into having to give him a big extension. But either way, um, I want to get your take before we kind of have some fun. Well, well, this has been fun. What do you mean? Well, yeah, I want to have fun with you. I know your personality, so I want to tap into your uh, your humor. Um, when it comes to to Saquon Barkley, you've seen. All the greats in this town, the big personalities, the guys who succeed, the guys who never live up to expectations. When you go into this year, or even when you see the other day, Saquon kind of a little bit of an edge on him this year going in. What's your take on Saquon and kind of where he fits in um, in the pantheon of New York sports players? You know, personality-wise, high pick, the debate, polarizing for a lot of people. What, what, what's your sense of where Saquon sits? Um, look, the first his rookie year, he looked like he was touched by the hand of God. <laughs> you know, he, he he appeared destined to be a gold jacket guy, and then of course all the injuries, and that's the the hazard of picking a running back with second overall pick of the draft. There it is, right there, Todd Gurley, etc. But um, as far as being a great football player, when healthy, he's a great football player, and he hasn't been used correctly. He he should be a he when he was drafted, he was right when he called himself a weapon more so than a running back. He has not been used as a weapon, uh, in part because he hasn't been on the field, and in part because the offensive lines have betrayed him every bit as much as they as it has betrayed Daniel Jones. Right. Um, you know, he obviously takes it personally when people say he dances but when you don't have confidence in your knee and you don't have confidence in your offensive line it's human nature to start dancing a little bit right not to go north and south and when there's no holes how are you going to go north and south right so that's true too so he look again it's unless he has an insane year it's going to be hard for joe shane to want to pay a running back. Joe Shane in, in Buffalo and Brian Dable, you know, they had Josh Allen. They, they didn't need a marquee running back. Right. So Saquon's what, 25? 25, yep. I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be a hard, as much as John Mara will not want to see Saquon walk out the door because he is the face of the franchise that you want, are they going to allocate resources to bring Saquon back at age 25, 26. Yeah, I say no. I, 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 don't, think I, I, don't, I don't think so. It doesn't yeah. add up to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, the only way he comes back is if he has a, an MVP yeah, an insane, season. an insane year. And the Giants win. 
even if he has an insane year and they win seven games or six games, I think there's still the debate over there's a lot of work to do on this roster. What are you going to do? Are you really going to pay? And you nailed it. Are you really in this market, in this NFL today, are you going to pay a running back that kind of you know deal? So it'll be interesting. It'll be see if, if Saquon's chip leads and into something. And he'll end up going somewhere else and becoming a Hall of Famer somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the way if, the Giants' luck is, if not, if not that, I'll go somewhere and win a Super Bowl, which you know is what Odell did, although it was two teams, two teams removed. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, Odell, you know, you don't give up on talent, right? <laughs> oh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Um, all right, let's talk favorite Giants team you covered. What had to be the? Uh, oh boy. Probably the '86 Giants because they were they kicked ass. They were badasses, you know. My guy LT, try blocking him and Phil Sims and Pasadena, um, Parcells and Belichick together. That that had to be my favorite team. When you covered that team, um, was it evident on a daily basis, or even you know when you're around that team that it was? Parcells and Belichick and Coughlin was there a little later for, yeah, a, for a the ninety right. team. Um, did you know? Like, did you see Belichick and realize how good he was back then? Well, not really, because everything went through Parcells. Parcells was the commanding presence, the boisterous presence, the shadow that overshadowed everybody else. Belichick, we knew, was a talented young kid, but that he was Parcells' young assistant. Um, and even in 1990, George Young didn't think he was cut out to be a head coach. Right. All right. You answer this question. For me. Right I know the answer because you and yeah. I have talked about this. I've heard a lot in this franchise, and I wasn't covering. I was in high school back then. Don't remind me. But when 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 Parcells stepped down, the idea was, oh well, he stepped down after Belichick left, right, for Cleveland. So wasn't it? It didn't Parcells yeah, stepped so, down in May. Yeah. Right. So. Belichick had already left for Cleveland. The idea, there's this idea by from some younger Giants fans, and it's always been out there, the idea that should Parcells have done it sooner so that they could have hired Belichick. And I've been told Belichick was not going to be hired no. as the head coach George here. Young didn't think he had the interpersonal skills, especially with the New York media, right. to survive. And, of course, Belichick struggled in Cleveland with the media as well. Right. Um, but... You know, the Ray Handley thing, Ray Handley was a tremendously intelligent guy, and George Young was infatuated with him. He saw a star in the making, and he, but he, George goofed, George's Hall of Famer, but he goofed big time because Ray Handley couldn't handle the media either, and he couldn't even handle his own players. He couldn't handle Sims versus Hostetler. (laughs) He was, he was an an absolute nightmare. All right. Give me, give me. He your... was the co-tight of this team. Wow. Yeah, that's true. He won more games. Right. But he lasted two years, and he was an absolute disaster. Wow. Uh, give me your best LT story. That's safe for family uh, podcasting. <laughs> well, I did a book with LT. I know that. Yeah. Um, hey, brother. And, and it was it was fascinating doing that book because he would fly in every few months. And I'd meet him at some apartment in New Jersey at an apartment. He'd give me two hours, and then he'd have to leave. And we'd do the same thing three months later. Um, LT is LT. Look, he marches to the beat of his own drummer. What I used to do with LT when he played, 
he didn't like the media. He didn't want to deal with the media, um, which unfortunately he lost himself a lot of money through endorsements and commercials. I mean, he, he had the world in his hands. Giant fans love him to this day. I wish he would do more, but because he's a different guy than people think he is. I, he's one of my favorite people because he just tells it like it is. And when he would come out of the locker room, I would start walking with him back in those days. You could walk him to the parking lot. And he goes, Serby, get out of here. What do you want? Get out of here. He'd like try to bite your head off. And, you know, I I just, I'm, I must be a uh, a masochist, I guess. I, <laughs> I, I kept walking with him. And and once once he started, he respected the fact that you stayed with him. And he would open up and he'd be one of the best quotes I've ever had. He was tremendous. So there's another side to LT that he doesn't like to Lawrence Taylor. He likes, he gave off the LT side. He wanted that persona. But I got into the Lawrence Taylor side, and Lawrence Taylor is one hell of a guy. You know, I, I um, Harry Carson always said he never called him LT. He always called him Lawrence. Yeah. Because that was the person that he knew, the player he knew. Yeah, he, but you, he didn't yeah. know, health, you know LT, that kind of thing. That's right. What a team that was. Harry Carson and LT, right? And Carl Banks yeah. in 86. I, I still think Carl Banks belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he. I think Carl Banks gets hurt because he played yes. with Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor. Yes, but but you know what? But Joe Klecko belongs. Well, he may finally get in, but that that's long overdue. That's rubber stamped. That, He's in. Oh He's yeah, going. but that that's a disgrace that he had to wait that long. But Harry Carson waited too long too. Oh my God! Right? How long was it? Seventeen At, years, I think it was I, after I think he retired. Like eight, eight tries or something. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it was. It's it was that New York New York bias. Yeah. Anti New York bias. It's true. Well, well, what's your favorite Giant team? Well, I have only covered. I've only been around since uh, 2011, sir. Well, 2009. Uh, that 2011 team was a lot of fun to cover, um, just because of the way it, it they went up and down. You know, I covered Cruz in high school, so that right. was interesting to see Vic and see how that worked. You know, week one drops the pass and third down in Washington. When you were covering Cruz in high school, did you yep. ever envision that he would have the success he had here? No, you had you had coaches in, in the league. They were in the Bergen Passaic Scholastic League, and he played for Patterson Catholic, which is now closed. You had coaches complaining that the only reason why he was getting open as a receiver was because he was pushing off. He was so much bigger than the other guys that he was playing against. So, no, and Vic had his trials and tribulations, you know, academically at UMass and – was back here working. He tells the story all the time. Was working at the Garden State Plaza, and Michael Strahan walked in to buy something at the store he was working. He was so embarrassed, and he said, "I got to take another shot at trying to get back into school because I can't, I can't do this like that." When he caught those, when he had that uh, preseason game against Jets. the Jets, yep. What were you thinking watching that in the press box? Well, it's funny because I don't even remember if I was here or I was home watching the game on on TV because that was 2010. Um, But, you know, it's just one of those things. I I think the funny thing to come out of that was the Rex Ryan, who is that guy? And then a year later, if if you've watched the America's team, the America's game stuff with the Giants having won the Super Bowl, remember that week, I remember being at Jets when – Revis and Cromartie both said they didn't know who Victor Cruz was because they were annoyed. And then Cruz, after he catches that touchdown on Christmas Eve, does the whole, now they know my name, they know my name. So 
Um, yeah, Cruz was a fun player to cover. I mean, I, I want to hit you with a question that you hit everyone else in your Q&A. Oh, no. Not, not three dinner guests, I hope. Three, three dinner guests, but they have to be Giants-related. Oh. All right. Well, Lawrence Taylor. Okay. Um, Wellington Mara. Okay. And Art Stapleton. <laughs> that would be a that would no be brainer. a fun dinner. It would be. Where'd we go? Um, we'll go to my favorite restaurant in Queens, Parkside. Okay. In Corona. All right. Unless you have a better recommendation. No, I know if we were in San Francisco, we'd be going to the the North Beach uh, yeah, Italian but, restaurant. Right, but we wouldn't be walking. No, no. We almost lost the readers. We almost lost Art that night walking up to San Francisco Hills on the way to an Italian dinner. Yeah, that was actually almost lost me too. Lost you too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let Let's end. I appreciate your time. Obviously, we're getting ready. We're taping this uh, on Sunday night before the Bengals game. Uh, So Bengals preseason game. Who knows who's going to play? My favorite Serbi stories, other than being you know of the personal variety, are your interactions with Eli Manning through his career and your your interviews with him and uh, the recorder falling off the podium. I miss Eli. What what about Eli? Even when did you realize that, you know, that you connected with Eli probably more than any other reporter, writer, columnist in New York? He didn't call anybody else by their name. He called you Serbi. You know what I mean? He knew you, he respected you, and he allowed you to kind of get away with things that no one else would even think about doing that. Are you referring to the time I got a call when I was standing at his locker and I And I was there. See, I wasn't even going to bring it up. You can bring it up. You can tell that story. All right. So, Serby's standing there, uh, and I'm waiting. We're back in the locker rooms. Can't wait to get in the locker room again because we haven't been there in a while. Uh, But you were getting ready to interview Eli, and I was waiting on the other side of the locker room, and... You know, well, there were a bunch of reporters. There. A bunch of reporters, but but everybody kind of drifted away because Eli did his thing on Wednesdays, and then the rest of the week, who knows when he would talk. Uh, but you went up and grabbed him, and you had your phone and, and your two recorders. Um, and now and, I was waiting for a call from out of town. Let's, yes. Okay. All right. So you're waiting for a call, and Eli gives you the the one to one and a one on one, and you ask him a question, and he starts answering, and your phone rings. So you. You held the recorder, I believe you held the recorder up with your your left hand up to Eli's face, and you turned away, not to be rude, but you answered the phone as he's answering the question. And Eli just kind of stopped mid-sentence and just kind of looked and waited, and you hung up the phone. It probably was only like a 10-second thing. And he looks at you and he goes, Serby. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, any other reporter does that to Eli Manning. And Eli Manning probably walks out of the locker room. You actually, I think you said to him, sorry, I had to take this, but go ahead. And and he finished the answer. And then you walked away. And a couple of the defensive guys were across the room. And Eli was yelling across to them. Do you believe that? Serby, you're killing me. You know what? Eli would not have walked away. He wouldn't walk away from anybody, really. When he was a rookie, right after he was drafted. My my first Q&A, by the way, was Eli, 18 years ago. Very first one. He called me. I was in my car. We did the interview by phone right after the draft. But after the draft, he was... At a, I met him at a hotel, in a hotel lobby, and we're sitting down doing a one-on-one, and not far away is uh, Huffnagel, who at okay. that time was the offensive coordinator. 
And he was doing the interview. I don't even know if he knew who Huffnagel was. Maybe he didn't. <laughs> but he kept talking to me. And I, I, I might have directed him. I said, that might be your offensive coordinator. I'm not sure if he was stiffing Huffnagel and being polite to me or not. <laughs> but that's Eli. He's a mensch, as we say. All right. Last one would be about Eli. Because both of these teams are kind of waiting. Yes, he's in the Hall of Fame, yes. No, well, I, yeah, oh. I, know, I know that. Uh, that's how I believe, too. I think he's in the Hall of Famer. I think he gets... He gets a lot of a lot of blame that were around him, and he was a lot better in those Super Bowl runs. He was clutch, and he never missed a game. His 2011 season, if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers in the regular season, Eli Manning had had claimed to be in the league and MVP that year. Clutch, never missed a game, revered by his teammates. Yep, yep, and and respected by you. Talk to any quarterback in the league, and they talk about the respect that they have for Eli. And the Manning cast alone ought to get him in. Well, that's true. That's true. All right. About Eli, just the idea of a player struggling early on with the pressure. Not that he was wilting from pressure, but there was pressure building around him to go into year four and then to become what he became. Is there anyone else in in New York football circles that you could ever think of that has kind of made that leap? And that kind of puts into perspective. Joe Joe Namath. You think Joe is that guy? Well, Joe didn't have success until uh, 60. His Super Bowl was his fourth year, I believe, right? Okay. Or 65, 66. Yeah. Namath didn't have success right away through a lot of interceptions. Okay. But obviously New York was perfectly suited for Namath. And who knew that New York would be perfectly suited for Eli? Right. His disposition and temperament turned out easy Eli was perfect for this market. It just it sets up the perspective of just how difficult that is. To be, they got you ready to run you out of town, and you end up that with a career that Eli ended up with. It puts in perspective what Daniel Jones is trying to accomplish. Right, but Eli also had tremendous support from the organization at that time, from Tom, Car- from John Mara to Tom Coughlin, to his offensive line. Yeah, he, the, everyone did whatever they could to make sure that he succeeded, to make sure he would be the franchise quarterback. And he had the complete opposite experience of what Daniel Jones is enduring right now. Right. And it just shows you how things work out. I mean, we'll see. We're here. We're, we're as I like to say all the time, we're all in, Steve. You do a great, great job with this podcast, uh, by the way, this episode excluded. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Steve Serby, all the pleasure, a lot of respect, great friend. And uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in this week. Um, We'll get to the final drive segment with your questions right after this. All right. Thanks again to Steve Serby. Um, Had a lot of laughs and a lot of my good times on the beat, on the road, uh, have involved Steve Serby. If you couldn't tell, we have a good relationship. He's a great guy to be around uh, on the road and when you're covering the NFL, um, there are few that are as unique as uh, Serbia is. So he's got the respect of the players, and everybody knows who he is. So I hope you enjoyed his stories and his perspective and a little bit of our back and forth. Uh, So it was always great to have him on, and I look forward to having him on again down the road. All right, let's go to our final drive segment. And your questions, let's start 
right now with Julio Souza, with the extensive backup wide receiver room and the way Sills and Bachman have been playing, Slayton is in trouble to be traded or released. Dable said that those guys in in route to not only to make the 53, but playing during the season. Uh, he said, big fan of my work. Shout out from Brazil. Well, Julio, shout out to you in Brazil. And let's go right to the wide receiver room as we speak. Look, I think Sills has a very good opportunity to be on this team. Uh, Bachman, I think he's probably looking at the practice squad again unless he can convince Thomas McGahee and Brian Dable to give him an opportunity, more opportunities on kickoff this weekend, and he shows that he could actually make a statement and be a part of the kickoff units because I think that is where uh, he needs to make an impact. Uh, It's not going to be easy to go and be a wide receiver uh, just solely, especially with Kadarius Toney and Wondell Robinson and now Sterling Shepard and Richie James pushing for spots. Now, would it help Bachman if he was if he got an opportunity as a kickoff uh, returner or a punt returner? Absolutely. You know, but that has not materialized. So I'm not sure where Bachman stands. Now, the Giants claimed two wide receivers from the Ravens today. I'm not sure if they would have claimed either if... Marcus Kemp and, as we said before, Colin Johnson, both were placed on IR today. So with those two guys going on IR, the Giants claimed two receivers who were waived by the Ravens yesterday as the league had to get down to 80 players per roster. Bailey Gaither and Jalen Moore. Uh, At this point, it's hard to say that they're more than just uh, guys to fill in the roster between now and Sunday and playing a game and then see where they're at when the dust settles next Tuesday. But we will see where that goes. While I'm mentioning it, Jordan Aikens was cut, and that was the third move. The Giants also claimed cornerback Harrison Hand, who's a Jersey native from Cherry Hill, went to Temple, He's with the Vikings. He was all, He's only 23 years old. And obviously, Andre Patterson, the Giants defensive line coach, has experience with him. He was the defensive coordinator for a little bit in Minnesota. So he knows hand. Obviously, the first thing I did was make a joke about Seinfeld and having hand. The Giants have hand now. Uh, hopefully, you guys appreciated that one on Twitter. If not, just let it sail right over your head. No big deal. Uh, so that's the uh, that's the look, catching you up on the corresponding moves today, and we'll get back to your questions now. All right, the the King of Queens, or at least the former King of Queens, so I assume that means you've moved. Often we criticize coaches, coordinators for not adapting scheme to the players. Why does Wink Martindale get a pass for staying true to his system when the Giants' corners are not good? I think that's a very good question, and I think it's part of the reason why Wink parted ways in Baltimore. I I, I do. I think they ran into a lot of problems last year at corner. They had a lot of injuries, and 
they stuck to their guns and um you know they gave up some big games last year so you needed a change of scenery uh i don't know if i'm willing to criticize wink to this point right now let's see how they adjust over the first quarter of the season and do they compensate for their corners by running different blitz packages if they just sit there and allow for the first couple weeks of the season Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield and Dak Prescott to pick on Aaron Robinson and exploit the Giants secondary down the field well then certainly criticism is warranted for Wink Martindale and the defense but you do make a fair point Uh, I think it's one of those uh, Rex Ryan's defenses had a lot of that same thing we play the way we play we make teams adjust to us we make teams react to us. And I think that is Wink's mentality. We'll have to see how it plays out. But I do think that's a great point that you make. Uh, but I don't know if Wink is bulletproof from that criticism just yet. I think we'll have to see how the early part of the season plays out. Uh, and then I'd be willing to say he's not adjusting uh, to what's going on. Because I do think that some of his blitz packages by design will try to protect the corners rather than just expose them outside. I think that will be a big key uh, if they're going to succeed early on, especially with a lot of uh, inexperience on the boundary. All right. uh, The Real Anf, A-N-F. He lives in Western Mass. Any cool stories about Western Mass and UMass with Victor Cruz. Well, I covered Victor Cruz in high school, as I said with the interview with Serby. I went to UMass, but Victor was well after I left and graduated from UMass. Um, so as far as my stories, memories, I had a lot of great memories up in Amherst uh, and four of the best years and the formative years of, of my life um, and truly made me who I am, not just as a reporter, but, um, you know, I loved UMass and, and I would do it all over again. Uh, I, I'd say my, my best, one of my best memories was for my birthday. I was at, uh, sports bar rafters watching a UMass basketball game. Then we walked back to campus in the snow. Uh, that was, that was a memorable uh, a bearable time. And um, another story is Derek Kellogg who was the point guard of the basketball team back then that ended up going to the final four a year after Kellogg and I graduated uh, was actually driving a car at the horseshoe courts in Southwest and ran over my foot. And it was a Saturday night and you could you could almost guess the shenanigans that were going on on a Saturday night at Zumas, but uh, those are two stories for you. Kellogg and I were in an economics class together. I covered the basketball team, knew him pretty well, uh, and now he's back at UMass after stints as a head coach, both at UMass and at LIU Brooklyn. He's back at UMass on Frank Martin's staff. So, uh, and hopefully you enjoy those stories and. Uh, Thanks for stoking the the UMass fire for me. All right, Manny. Manny's a two. He, I think you're three for three, Manny, with questions. 
What do you think of Chris Owens, the guard, the Giants signed last week, and do you think he has a spot on this team depth-wise? Very hard to say. Uh, Back at practice today were uh, John Feliciano and Josh Zudu. Uh, So if they're back, that's two interior spots that were not filled last week. Ben Bredesen, we had a Ben Bredesen sighting. He has a big brace on his elbow, but it looked like he was working indoors with the training staff, then came out to the sideline. It'll be interesting to see where he stacks up in the 53. Uh, And, you know, look, availability. Owens is going to play. He's probably going to get a lot of time in the joint practice against the Jets. And we'll have to see. I'd be lying to you if I told you I broke down his film from last week. But they obviously liked him for a reason. And they need to keep these offensive linemen in the building right now until they get down to their 53. So I think when the dust settles Sunday night, Monday, maybe you'll have a better idea if he has a chance to sneak in on the 53. Or is he a guy that could go through waivers and then end up on the practice squad, depending on what they like uh, from him over the last week or so. But hats off to him to come in the way he did and then play as many snaps as he did. Uh, Todd Williams says, although unconventional, is there a scenario where the Giants only break the 53 with two tight ends? Uh, I believe they're going to sign Tanner Hudson, who is a free, free agent, he was with San Francisco and also the Bucks. He tried out for the Giants on Wednesday. Uh, from what I understand, they're going through the process now. I believe he'll be signed. He may even be signed while you're listening to the show. Uh, I think it'll be Daniel Bellinger, Chris Myrick, and Tanner Hudson moving into the weekend for the Giants. And then we'll see. I think they could add another tight end. I've continually mentioned Tommy Sweeney, who's a Jersey guy and is up in Buffalo. If he gets squeezed out with O.J. Howard and Dawson Knox being those guys. Uh, But right now, I think they'll keep three. But I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that they keep two on the initial 53 and then add someone after the fact uh, in week one or even after that if they have to put guys on IR. Remember, if they keep a guy on the initial 53 and then put him on IR the next day, they gain a spot and then that player is eligible to return. If they put someone on IR now, that player is not eligible to return that the only player that the only way that player can get back on the field in this season would be to accept an injury settlement they're released from IR and then they would have to wait a certain number of weeks depending on the settlement to sign back with the giants and if they didn't do that they are a free agent and they could actually sign elsewhere so um there's a lot of maneuverability a lot of gymnastics to take place next week so i don't think Two tight ends is completely out of the realm, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Isaac Medina, which team do you think will be a nice trade partner to the Giants if they decide to make a move on Slayton? And what do you think is better, a player or a pick? Cheers from Mexico. Shout out to Mexico. Isaac, thanks for listening. Uh, 
you know, I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to trade Slayton for a pick. Uh, so I would think that Slayton, if he gets dealt, which I expect, and not really a talent question, but just because his salary is $2.5 million as far as a cap hit goes. And that's because of performance escalators based on snap counts the last three years. So I think Slayton either will be traded for a player who's a bubble player on another roster or he'll just be outright released or waived or even waived with an injury designation because he was only uh, participating in individual drills today. So we'll see where he is at with his availability this weekend. Uh, but that's what I would say. I think um, I think that's that's what you're looking for for Slayton. I, I don't believe he'll, they'll get a pick back for Slayton. All right, and the last question this week, Brett Book, Brett Brooks. Sorry, Brett. I'll say your name again. Brett Brooks says it's probably a long shot, but seeing how the Dolphins are looking to trade uh, Mike Gesicki and the extreme lack of depth at tight end, is that a move the Giants might look at? Not saying they would actually trade for him, but just a look-see to see what the asking price is. Uh, under normal circumstances, Gesicki would be a guy I'd be interested in. Uh, I believe his salary is around $10 million. So just because of that, I would say that is not an option for the Giants. I don't think they would look at it because I don't believe the Dolphins would be looking to take some of that salary uh, off of what Gesicki is making uh, now. So I'd say no, Brett. I think they're looking at tight ends who are going to accept right around the minimum. Uh, like I said, a, a Tanner Hudson, uh, maybe even an Eric Ebron. Once the season starts, they bring him in. They worked him out before camp. He hasn't signed yet. Something like that. And, of course, the veteran salaries, if you're a vested veteran, it's guaranteed the first week of the season. So there could be some movement at that position come week two with a veteran who might not be able to get a deal uh, until after week one just based on salary. So the Giants may be in that market as well. You sign a guy in week two, and then you're essentially paying that veteran week to week, and you're not tied up in the idea that you have to pay him uh, for the full season uh, depending on you know injury or, or that kind of thing. So thanks for all the questions. I appreciate it. You guys show me every week that you're all in, and I appreciate your commitment. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Thanks to Steve Serby, to everyone who was involved in the final drive, and enjoy the rest of the weekend next week, down to 53. Hopefully we'll have some good shows next week. We'll see where everything is at. And then it's on to Tennessee, week one, the start officially of the Joe Shane and Brian Dable era. Thanks for being all in. We'll talk to you next week.